Hello, and welcome to your audio tour of Vine Cottage, home to two of the most celebrated and infamous painters of the last century. You should now be standing in the entrance parlour of the cottage, with the bright red front door in front of you. Go through that door, and you will find yourself in the living room, which takes up the better part of the ground floor. Do that now. This room, with its views across the valley, is thought to be the reason Conovine bought this cottage. At the age of 27, he spent every penny from the sale of two early paintings on this property, having immediately fallen in love with its position on the hillside and the views it afforded him. Love of this landscape never left Connor, and the rolling hills and woodland seen from this room became the subject of some of his most celebrated masterpieces. You will notice that in keeping with the openness and space visible from the windows, the room itself is large and contains relatively little furniture. This is how the room is believed to have looked when Conovine first lived and was working here, eating and even sleeping in this room, which from appearance was the least capable of supporting life. In later years, when Connor and Emily lived here together, two large armchairs were positioned around the central carpet. Today these are found in the den, which we will come to later in the tour. It was one to two years into his residency that Connor had the south-facing wall removed and replaced with the enormous windows you can see to your left. That he was able to make such a large-scale change such a short time after buying the property in the first place shows us how financial success was starting to come to him at this time. Walk forward now to the small side table against the wall in front of you. You will see there is a small clock on the table in the front right corner. Stand with your body level with the clock and turn to face the large windows. The view you can see from this point might look familiar to you. Can you tell where you've seen it before? This view with the mountains across the valley, the long grass in front of the house, and the garden gate visible to one side, is the subject of Approach of the Muse, perhaps Conovine's most famous painting, and the first to feature the woman who would be his wife. The landscape, with Emily standing behind the gate, eyes fixed on the painter, and hand reaching for the latch, is currently hanging in Ferrin's art gallery in Hull. While in this room, take note of how the light changes as you walk around, and how different angles allow different views of the landscape outside. It was this constantly changing atmosphere which inspired one of the greatest artists of his generation. Once you are ready, take the cream door in the bottom right of the room into the kitchen and press 2 on your audio guide. By Conovine's own admission, he did not live a particularly domestic life as a bachelor, rarely cooking for himself and occasionally, when he was painting, going full days without food. Therefore, it was only when a young Emily Mortimer, a former chef and amateur painter, moved into the cottage that the kitchen became the room you can see today. The organised, structured approach that Emily had so often visible in her own art, 
is clear in how she has arranged this room and its contents. Cooking remained a passion for Emily throughout her life, and you can see on the work surfaces many appliances and tools which would have been cutting edge for their time. Emily and Connor had met only three months before she came to live with him here, and only seven months before they were married in St Mark's Church. From the window over the sink in front of you, you can see the side of the church building beyond the hedgerow at the bottom of the garden. Also visible through this window is the garden summer house Connor used as his study, whose sad part in his story we will address later in the tour. Before you leave, take a moment to note the images of food and kitchen products which Emily has carved into the wood of the cabinets. Several of Emily's early works revolved around still lifes, and although these examples remain fairly simplistic, it was through such early practising that she was to develop her later mastery of form and perspective. Interestingly, while several of Connor's larger canvases hung, and still hang, throughout the cottage, these simple carvings are the only examples of Emily's work that we find outside her own study. Emily is also known to have been a furiously hard worker. Lucinda Faint, a regular guest of the Vines and attendee of Connor's infamous all-night parties, commented that she had been shocked upon walking into the kitchen the following morning to find Emily making herself breakfast. She realised Emily must have been at home the whole time. When you are ready, take the door to your right and watch your head on the low door frame. Climb the stairs and at the top, press 3 on your audio guide. The picture on your left, taking up most of the wall, is one of Connor's woodland landscapes, thought to have been painted a half-hour drive east from the cottage. Connor painted these woods many times in all the seasons, and at the time that he lived here, the walls around you on this small landing were almost completely covered by his images. The painting you can see today is a copy, the original which used to hang in its place, along with six of the smaller works, are currently on loan to an exhibition in Paris. Now take the second door on your right and go up a second set of steps to the very top of the house. When there, press 4 to continue. Emily's study is the smallest room in the cottage, but, as you can see, it is also the most tightly packed. Unlike her husband, whose subject matter and methods revolved around large, open spaces, Emily's art is focused, always, on the object or the person in front of her. Emily would stand and paint in this room, with her back to the skylight and both of her desks, and with her subject standing or sitting in front of her, where the rug is now lying. You will see the large chest in the top left corner of the room. All of the various cloths within it were used to change the colour of the light in the room, and Emily would pull them over the skylight above you to alter the quality of the light falling on her subjects. However, many of her most brilliant works, her playfulness with light and shadow, perspective and shape, 
came not from effects of vision created in the room, but from the genius of her own imagination. She used this room for her own art almost from the day she moved in, and many very early sketches were found in the drawers, as well as at the bottom of the large wardrobe you can see in front of you. According to an interview given after her second very successful show in London, the room appealed to her immediately due to its irregular shape and the shadows made by the light from the sole window. While it is difficult to imagine so now, it should also be remembered that Emily Mortimer was almost totally unknown as an artist when she married Connor Vine, so the fact that she chose the smallest room is not as surprising as it might be today. Emily did not exhibit any works for the first three years of her marriage, preferring instead to support her husband over what are now thought of as the best years of his career. Connor was giving a new show with at least 30 new pieces every year at this time, the most productive period of his career, and was receiving commissions from all over the world. Emily's role in supporting him over this time can be overlooked, but she continued to act both as an assistant and as a model throughout. It was only when the couple settled more permanently at Vine Cottage that Emily appears to have considered exhibiting under her own name. Look over your right shoulder. You can see the advertisement for her first show hanging on the wall by the door, or on the other side over your left shoulder, the poster for her second. Note that she originally used the name Mortimer, but that the following season, under pressures from promoters and, we assume, her husband, she uses the name Emily Vine. The numerous awards and prizes she won during her brief career also bear Connor's surname and can be seen lining the top of the chest of drawers. One final thing to notice in this room, you will see that the wardrobe has been pulled out slightly and, when you go over to it, you will be able to see behind it a second door into the study. As you will notice as you get closer, this door is located at the top of a spiral staircase which leads down into the bedroom below. We believe that Emily moved the wardrobe in front of this door to make it appear secretive, as it was not built to be concealed. Lord Acre, whose portrait Emily painted the year before her death, remembers the wardrobe being to the left of the door and being used by Connor during his sitting. Although today there are torches lighting this staircase, we do ask that you respect the barriers in place and do not use it. The steps are steep and there is no handrail, so they remain too dangerous for use. Instead, please retrace your steps down the first staircase and at the bottom, take the other door off the landing into the bedroom. Once there, press 5 on your audio guide. The first thing to note is that while the cottage was inhabited, this room would not have been so cold as you find it today. The Connor and Emily Vine Trust, which owns and runs the cottage, now keep the room cool 
in order to preserve the mural along the back wall. Take a few steps into the room and turn to face it. In spite of the obvious brilliance and passion of this work, nobody knew of its existence until the time of its creator's death. Cast your mind back to the start of our tour and you will recognise the setting as being part of the scene from the living room's main window. In this instance, however, the view is confined to the left-hand side, cutting out the open fields and stretch of valley away to the west. Here, the dark mountains dominate the background and the garden gate has been moved to the centre of the work. We are not certain when Connor painted this mural, but the sharper, darker colours are reminiscent of his later work. While his attempts to move away from landscapes and his experiments with colour were not well received by the art world of his time, many of his admirers use this mural as proof that Connor maintained his genius to the end. Emily here is made centre stage, and although her outfit and hair are identical to how she appears in Approach of the Muse, in this image she is inside the garden gate with her hand reaching back to close the latch behind her. What is more, you will notice that the richer colours and greater detail used in her face allow for more of her personality to be visible. Her expression, looking straight out of the frame, shoulders square to the viewer, has been described as enigmatic. But the energy and intelligence Connor has granted her in this portrait leap off the wall. As one notable art critic said on first viewing this mural, in approach, Emily is the youth, the innocent, swept out of the landscape into the painter's arms. Here she stands, in their bedroom no less, as the wife. No less beautiful, she is held up both by her own strength and by the passion created between her image and he who looks at her. Take some time to view Emily here, and remember as you do so the great, tragic accident that befell her. As you go to leave the bedroom, you will see the door on the far side of the bed, leading to the spiral staircase we have just seen from above. It was here, at the feet of her portrait, that Emily's body was discovered. The fall is thought to have killed her instantly as she rushed from her study. Go downstairs now and follow the corridor round away from the kitchen to the den. Once there, press 6 to continue the tour. In the later years of his life, while famous for his painting, Connor was infamous as a party host. He Emily and their friends, a group comprising of artists, philosophers and the aristocracy, were known to hold drunken and possibly drug-fueled parties here, lasting several days at a time. A local farmer once complained to the council, in a letter we still have, of the disruptive behaviour of this group. He claims to have found Connervine, along with two friends clearly thinking of themselves as gentlemen, asleep in his cowshed 
The room you are in now bears the scars of these parties, and in particular the last one held here, three nights before the deaths of the vines were discovered. Efforts have been taken to leave it in the state in which it was found. Notice that above the fireplace are a number of dents in the wall, thought to be the result of an indoor cricket match described by Patrick Baker. There is another, deeper hole in the opposite wall, which may have been hit by the bat itself. Scorch marks appear on the carpet, which Adam Little believed to be a combination of whiskey and cigarettes, but he could not remember at what point the window was cracked. Caroline Faint, who along with her sister-in-law were the only female guests present on that last night, is thought to be the original wearer of the pink lipstick you can see smudged over the sofa behind you, an accusation we should say that neither woman ever confessed to. It is perhaps surprising that the drinks cabinet along the left-hand wall appears to have been restocked, even before the broken lamp on your right has been tighted away. Emily is known to have made a visit to the local village two days before she was found, and it speaks to her domesticity that the stock was replenished. Walk through the den to the far window and the back door, where if you like, you can leave the cottage and go out into the back garden. From here, you will be able to see down the garden to the summer house, where Connor had moved most of his painting activity by the time, and where the majority of his unfinished works were found. It was at his desk there, of course, that Connor's body was first discovered by his friend Adam Little. Mr. Little found Connor surrounded by empty bottles, slumped over his desk. He later told police that he knew instantly that his friend had drunk himself to death and that such despair could only have come from the death of Emily. Mr. Little, along with many of Connor's closest friends, always maintained their belief that Emily must have died first. It was over a decade later when Lucinda Faint published her memoir, Entangled, Partying with the Vines, that the opposing view was first heard. Ms. Faint believed that Connor, who was already drinking dangerous amounts, had accidentally overdosed first, and that it was Emily, running for her coat and to get help, whose death came second. Lucinda Faint claimed to her own death that even following such a tragedy, Connor had too much to live for to have knowingly taken his own life. The truth as to how these terrible events unfolded will never be known. Take as much time as you like in the garden. The Connor and Emily Vine Trust maintains it now, although neither of the cottage's occupants took a great interest in it. When you are ready, take the gate through to the churchyard and press 7 for the final audio guide instalment. St Mark's Church has featured in the work of both the artistic greats who now lie in its shadow. The dark and solid stone walls, the jagged, gothic architecture, 
inspired both the wild landscapes of Conavine and the structured, psychological studies of Emily. It is fitting, therefore, that the churchyard, only 100 metres from their home, is where they have been laid to rest. You may have noticed the graveyard is quiet, sheltered from the prevailing winds by the large conifers that encircle it. Most of the graves are now so old, their stones are crumbling. Walk down the path towards the church door, however, and you will see two white marble headstones, about five metres off the path to your right, their backs only a foot from the stone church wall. In the first interview she gave after her marriage, Emily spoke at length of the love she had for her new husband, of his genius and of his passion. She said, To try to see the world as he sees it, to follow the line of his gaze, is the most exciting opportunity I have ever had. Later that year, following the enamoured reception of his latest show and approach of the muse, Connor was quoted as saying that his whole world, all its beauty, all its power, all its intelligence, can be found most pure in Emily. In line with a request made in the will they wrote together in the year they were married, Emily and Connor Vine lie beneath your feet, with their hearts and chests facing upwards to Judgment Day, but each with their head at an angle, gazing forever into each other's eyes. <laughs>